she was a scruff bag. And what's that name? Hamble. Who's called Hamble? Hey, Michelle. Hey, Geordie. How are you? I'm excellent. Oh, you're excellent. I am excellent. Oh, you're so excellent. I'm absolutely bloody excellent. Have you got tickets on yourself? Oh, so douche. I'm up myself. I'm really up myself. (laughs) Up yourself. (laughs) She's really up herself. I hate that, Michelle. She's so up herself. Yeah. She's a mole. She's got tickets. She's got tickets on herself, that mole. What a scrubber. Oh, my God. (laughs) We're just practising, listeners, because I'm going to Australia in a couple of weeks' time and I need to get my lingo down. I'm sure no one speaks like that in Australia anymore. That's like from the 70s and 80s, isn't it? That speak. 70s, speak for yourself. I don't know. <laughs> no, look, it's very puberty blues. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's classic Australian film and book. It's a book by Kathy Lett, who's that wonderfully funny woman that lives sometimes in the UK, I think. Was it Kathy Lett who wrote that? Yes, it was. Wow. Okay. I learned something new today. Honestly, you would think I'm drunk today, but yes. I'm not. I'm high on Panettone because I had my first Panettone for the seasons. Was it one of those wet ones? I love it when they're slightly damp with alcohol. Quite like that. No, that's a rum bubba. Huh? That's a rum bubba. Every now and again, you get a nice damp Panettone. I know what I'm talking about. It's Panettone. It's not rum bubba. Bubba. (laughs) A bubba. Okay, toast. Hang on a sec. A rum bubba. (laughs) (laughs) One moment, please, listeners. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Geordie. And I'm Michelle. And you're eavesdropping on us. Welcome to the podcast Eavesdropping, where you get to eavesdrop on our conversations. Yes. And sometimes I do feel a bit sorry for yeah, you. I do too. When Geordie's there saying, ba-ba. <laughs> it's a rub, ba-ba. Rum, ba-ba. <laughs> oh, I don't think I've ever had a wet panettone, but... You've made it sound nasty, wet panettone. It doesn't sound nice, does it? No. What no. about a... Uh, Booze-drenched panettone. Does that sound nicer? That's more like it. Yeah, you now now you sound like a Marks and Spencer's advert. Oh, or um, what's her name? Nigella. Nigella Lawson. With a microwave. Microwave. She's good value at Christmas, though, Nigella, isn't she? Her food comes into its own. She does bring out the big guns for the Christmas recipes. I will be looking her up. Yeah. Here in the Northern Hemisphere... It's nice to get cosy, isn't it? And just shove all the carbs and all the cheese into your gob while sitting in front of a fire. Look, I've been doing that all summer. Sands the fire. (laughs) You know, I mean, sands sands the fire. Although um, I have to say I have actually fired up the Netflix fireplace on the telly. That's all I've got. I don't have a real fire. You would think in the mountains I would have a real fire. You would think. Mm -hmm. How do you keep warm? heating (laughs) we have a heater and we have underfloor heating as well posh that's very expensive clearly switzerland's not having a energy crisis maybe they are but in our village we're not because our energy is powered by the glacier so by by the water yes we're hydro how well they're clever aren't they and also all the hotels you know we're a tourism town so all the hotels put their food waste into bins that are collected and that is also turned into energy to power the town well i never yeah we have the cheapest 
uh, energy in Switzerland. So we're fine for I now. I love this. Yeah. I love this. That's so good. Mm, it is. Politicians take a leaf out of Zermatt's book. They seem to be doing it right. We're a car-free town too. So, you know, we have the purest air, the purest water. you got to come. I will. We'll do a live eavesdropping from Zermatt oh. sometime in 2023. Yes, we have that slated. We've got, we'll pencil that one in. So, Michelle, what's your week been like? Well, I've been in Sweden. And, uh, ah. yes, that was very nice. They had some snow. I saw deers yep. running in the fields. It was beautiful hares running wow. around full of wildlife and lovely wildlife. things i was gonna say the swedish people but it could just be andreas's family yes yeah, so you can't make broad no. sweeping statements anymore michelle because you get it wrong every time i know and i get that in quirky family can't you know cannot be the representation of all of swedes <laughs> well maybe it's country swedes i don't know however they do this thing where they change their curtains and they put Christmas okay. curtains up. Oh, are you kidding? It's a thing. It's no. a thing. It is. I wouldn't allow it in my house. Oh. That's disgusting. <laughs> well. Have you, have you put your Christmas curtains up yet? Oh, yes, love. I have. I have. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I went to Andreas's sister's house. She's got this beautiful country house, you know, in the middle yeah. of... With disgusting lovely. Christmas curtains. No, they're lovely curtains. And she's got okay. those up, and but she's got all the Christmas knickknacks and all the decorations, all the advent oh. candles. You know, it really feels like Christmas. That's nice. And that yeah. was nice. And then we were driving in the car because obviously here we don't have – there's no driving because oh, we're a car-free town. Yeah. But when we were in yeah. the car, we had all the Christmas songs on. And then I started listening to some classic Boy George because, as you know, I'm obsessed because – for anyone, spoiler alert, he has been booted out of I'm a Celeb. Okay. I haven't been watching it, Michelle. Oh, that's right. You turned off, didn't you? I'm, I'm off. You're off. I've turned my back. Yeah, I'm done. Mm. After all the years of watching I'm a Celebrity get me out of here, I'm done. You're out of here. I'm out of here. What What was it that was that tipped you I'm over Geordie. the edge? Get me out of here. <laughs> um, the lack of people that I knew who they were, which yes. hasn't stopped me in the past. I loved Boy George. But he's too zen now, so he's not going to kick off. And Matt Hancock. Everyone loves Matt Hancock. If he fucking wins that show, I'll be beside myself. That man. If he wins that man. show, it will be because every Tory in the country who has money is vote, 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 voting to keep him in. Why would they? They kicked him out. Yes, I know. They gave him the boot. Look, Although he is still an MP. Yeah. It's Suffolk, West Suffolk. Poor West Suffolk. They don't have an MP right now. He's out there earning £500,000 and having a lovely long holiday in Australia. Yeah, it's disgusting, actually. And to be fair, I feel like they've given him an easy ride in there. Yes, exactly. And I do think that he's come across as slimy and insincere and not authentic. And I have to say, this is my horrible side coming out. I was very happy when he got bitten by that scorpion. Oh, did he? <laughs> You're awful. <laughs> I'm a bitch. <laughs> With no human Michelle. kindness. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, those Tories can have a taste of their own medicine. But yeah, so I've been loving, loving getting into Christmas and I'll be lighting those advent candles and doing all the, all the stuff. I'm very much looking forward nice. to a nice Christmas. Lovely. 
And I just want to give a shout out, shout out to Jen, long time listener, aka. Love you, long time Jen. Love you, long time Jen. AKA Michelle's mum. Yes, because as we talked about a few episodes ago, she lost her longtime companion, yes. Rexy the cat. You had a heart attack because you thought I was going to tell you mum had... But she had popped her clogs, yes. Popped over to the other side. No, it was poor old <laughs> Rexy. However, mum's got, got herself a new cat. I knew she would. She has, and uh, she's a little rag doll. Now, I did have concerns <gasps> that this cat was hot, a.k.a. stolen. But my, my sister assures me that it was all legit. It's all above board. So welcome okay. to the family, Bella. Oh, Bella, welcome. Yes. I can't wait to see some photos of Bella draped because that's what they do, the rag dolls, don't they? They kind of just drape themselves over things like you can wear them as a scarf, all sorts of things. <laughs> They're very floppy cats. They are floppy cats, but also I think very loving and very gentle. So mum's very happy. And so shout out to you, Jen and Bella. Shout out. Shout out. Shout out. Shout out. You're getting a shout out. Now, I need to give a little shout out to a few people as well who've been getting in touch and saying how much they've enjoyed the episodes. And I like to say welcome. And I like to say keep listening. And do you know what else I like to say? Get on that bloody Apple iTunes and please, we haven't had any reviews since last year. Yes. Or ratings. Guys, please give us some ratings and reviews because that way our podcast gets popped up higher and people can see it. And they find us. Don't just keep it to yourself. <laughs> Not fair. Other people need this shit in their ears. <laughs> Don't hog it. So I would like to give a shout out to Vicky, to Tamira the Modern Mystic, to who else am I shouting out? There's a few people. To Mark from Rains Park, ex of Rains Park. Ray. Ray gets his shout out. He's got a bloody jingle. He's doing all right. Uh, Mrs. Hannah Huggis from South London, who listens. And there's Yannicka Bailey in the tubble. She's got a new tubble after her cat put a hole in it and made it all sink. You should got to blow up tubble bath. Yes. In Amsterdam. And now they have a puncture repair kit or a new tubble. <laughs> and either way, she said, I'm still enjoying listening to eavesdropping in my tubble. Oh, well done. Thank you, Yannicka. We're so thrilled that you can grab your cocktail, be in that lovely warm tubble and listen to eavesdropping. She could pee herself laughing and it wouldn't matter because <laughs> she'd be in the tubble. Although that's not cool to pee in the bath, is it? Not cool. No. No. It's counterproductive. No. It is. I mean, it might feel warm and lovely to do it. What about peeing in the, in the shower? That's fine. What? You, it, you can rinse it off. Yeah. No, it, that, you're meant to pee in a different drain hole. You can't do it what? in the shower. Why? Oh, dear. Well, because it's two different drains. One is for sewage and one is for water. You can't pee in the shower. But how do you stop people from peeing in the shower, Michelle? Tell them not to pee in the fucking shower. Well, I know a lot of people who do pee in the shower. Wow. I'm not going to drop myself in it, but I, I reckon there are a lot of people out there who do pee in the shower. Wow. Like every child. Well, yes, every child. I can understand that. There's a point where both my children couldn't get in a bath without peeing. Yes. They'd get in and immediately pee. Yes, but now they're older, they're still not peeing in a bathtub or in a shower, surely. I hope not. They'll be peeing in the shower. That's a given. But the pipes are different. You've got your waist pipe. Well, no pipe. one told me. Well, it's common sense. I never thought it through. <laughs> oh, my God. 
God. Yes, of course. So you've got water pipes, which then goes into water purification and whatnot. And of course, in London, it's recycled 25 times. Well, they have to because somebody's peed in it. That's why. Yeah. But then you've got your your sewerage pipe, which is where all your wee and your poo and your toilet paper yeah, goes. That's fine. That also gets recycled. Not for drinking water. Yes, it does. We're going to have to investigate that. Oh, my God. Do you know what? We don't know enough about the way our world is run, do we? Well, I do here, but maybe not in London, no. (laughs) You sit on the toot. Yes, you sit on the toot. What happens then? Well, then most people just flush and it's gone. Oh. Where does it go, Michelle? Well, it goes to the sewage recycling plant. To be recycled into what? More sewage? Well, they have to separate it all. What? And then what? Well, then, I don't know, maybe there's a fertilising company who takes all the poop i don't know and what about that what about the liquid that's left over what did they do with that i don't know but if they clean it perhaps they put it into the thames well we drink the thames don't we i don't know oh oh it doesn't bear thinking about it's terrifying what are we talking about today michelle something interesting story have we got something equally as terrifying do you know it's not it's just one of those things that we have talked about before and our eavesdroppers will know that we on this podcast are fascinated with hoarders. Oh, we love a hoarder. We do. In fact, we love them so much, I even married one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with a guy who's the opposite of a hoarder. Yeah, he's he's very Scandi minimalist. Spick and span. Mm, My husband can't have enough things and he takes things out of the rubbish and he hoards food. Anything with a yellow sticker, it comes home. Anything that's in the reduced aisle, it comes home. We have to have a separate freezer for all the extra food that comes back. It's ridiculous. And then there's all the, at the moment, it's rubbish. He's he's hoarding rubbish. He's keeping it. Like we, we went to France, as you know, and we bought some snails in a little foil tray. He's kept that foil tray. I'm like, well, we're never going to use that again. That can go in the recycling. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go through some things a bit later and maybe we can diagnose the level at which your husband's at. I mean, it's really embarrassing because I work as a declutterer. Yes, I know. In some ways, it's not about the stuff. It's about the psychology behind it. It's about something else, isn't it? It's deeper. And and look, I am fascinated by how people live, hearing their stories and trying to understand what triggered yeah. them to begin hoarding and why they hoard. Well, it's an aspect of OCD they've discovered. Yeah, and I've got some stats a bit later on about that because it is complex psychology behind it all. And obviously hoarding can have really detrimental effects on people's lives and their health. And their partners, yes. And their relationships <laughs> and their mental health. You know, it's it's a really serious thing. Yes, of course. And we're not laughing at no. hoarders. We're not laughing at them. We're laughing with them. But d- well, yes. <laughs> no, no laughs. Ain't no laughs. No laughing. No, God, Not on a comedy God. podcast. It's funny. It's not funny. But people do bandy the, the term hoarder around for anyone who's got too much stuff. You know, it's become a yes. bit of a joke word because it's an easy label. You know, anyone who's been to my houses <laughs> in the past. Houses? Make yourself sound like you're some sort of billionaire with lots of properties. The house in Mustique and the house in Lake Como and the house in Brixton. No, it's just more than anyone who's ever seen how I live. I think they would say that I'm 
pretty minimalist. You know, I don't like to have a lot of stuff. Do you let them into your bedroom, Michelle? Well, I'm coming to that because, you know. (laughs) I've seen your bedroom. Because you know that stuff makes me feel hemmed in and restricted. Having less stuff makes me feel mentally free. But if you open my wardrobe, you're right, it does look like it belongs to another person. It, when you think about going through, you know, my apartment, there was nothing. There was nothing out. It was pretty minimal. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? Until you opened that bedroom door. Yes. Yes, until you went into my wardrobe. But my bedroom was minimal until you opened the cupboards. So what you could see on the surface was really minimal. But yeah. what was hidden in the cupboards was a lot, I would say. And I know this because you <laughs> you tried to help me one time declutter my Many wardrobe. Many times. Yes, and I got very upset because you wanted me to throw away some shitty shirt that belonged to an ex-boyfriend who'd been an asshole, and I didn't want to get rid of it or whatever. Yeah. So, well, that's the thing I find in my work as a declutterer. Mm. It brings up a lot of emotional things. Yes, it's like memories. Mm-hmm. The person can't let go of these memories. It's not just you that said that about things that they've held on to from ex-boyfriends. Yeah. I've had other people who've kept the date outfit that they wore on their first date with their husband with a great big spunk stain down the front. Oh, sorts. Jesus! <laughs> Sorry. Ew. I can now treasure this, this memory, this stain. But, you know, look, I think that if you do drill down into that ever so slightly, there are things behind, like you say, it's date night or whatever. And I think yeah. also the way you grew up has a lot to do with it because... When I grew up, we didn't have a lot. And so you took care of what you did have. And it meant that you had to sort of see the value in in everything. And not just expensive things or the things that you loved. But, you know, when you don't have a lot, you see the value in resourceful things and useful things. And What, like my husband who has to reuse foil trays? Yes. I kind of in some ways get that. And also, you know, recycling and waste and you know using things you know the whole kind of wombles I guess mentality Mm -hmm. of you know we have such a disposable culture Mm. but I didn't grow up like that I grew up where I mean god you know I remember the first time we we got a takeaway and it was in a a plastic tub that oh my god you can reuse this tub it's so useful you can put things (laughs) in here and it was kind of a big deal and now you know they stack up and you you can't get rid of them they're annoying to have these sort of one-use plastic things and you feel guilty for having them I'm thinking about wall e I call him wall e I know it's wally you know that pixar movie about a little robot that was the only thing left on a planet that was piled high with plastic takeaway boxes (laughs) yeah yeah really I, I haven't seen it but look there is something in not wanting to throw things away for whatever reason and look I'm guilty of it you know I just went to Sweden and I took two tops with me that are full of holes and they're breaking why yeah exactly that's what Andre said he's like why have you brought broken clothes with you on holiday and it's because I really love these tops I don't want to get rid Mm. of them they're so perished that they are they're full of holes and the other side of that is after I lost everything I own in a fire Mm. and I literally barely own anything anymore really the things I do have considering I was sort of starting in many ways from ground zero they're kind of weird and I mean that in a way of there was this one particular clothing brand I got a little bit obsessed with and I bought loads of their clothes and I've got dresses that are too big dresses that are too small teeny tiny shorts that I do not have the legs for 
anymore. Mm-hmm. And all of them still have the tags on. And I don't know what to do with them oh, because... God eBay. Yes, but I love looking at them. I love feeling the quality of the fabric. I just think they're beautiful as objects, but chances are I probably won't wear them. But they're taking up space in your wardrobe. Yeah, I know. For things that you will wear. Yes, I know. I know. That's very practical. But it is hard to get rid of them. And you know this about mm. me. I, I hang on to dumb shit. eBay invented. Make some cash. Buy something you need. Yes, That's what I, I, I suggest. That's my professional opinion. So I get it that sometimes there's no logic to these things. Yeah. It means a lot more than just the item itself or the beauty of it or the memory of it. And I think that when you're a true hoarder, more so than than you and your wardrobe bursting open with things that you haven't worn, it can often come from a traumatic life event. Well, I've got some stats on that, but I just want to say I'm not a hoarder. I'm really not. I'm really not. I mean, really, anyone who knows me knows I have such minimal life except for this one thing where it comes to, I don't know why, clothes, sometimes food. Andreas will tell you I hoard tea. (laughs) Enough about me. Enough about me. I want to talk about Phyllis. Who? Phyllis. Phyllis. What have you done now? Phyllis. I came across Phyllis. She was actually featured on a show called, wait for it. Hoarders. Hoarders. Yes. (laughs) How did I know? She's a grandmother in her 60s. By all accounts, she is like an upstanding member of her community. And she's working as a certified nursing assistant in Griffin, Georgia, which is in America. However, behind closed doors, Geordie, Phyllis has a secret. She's a doll hoarder. Oh. Yes. My nana loved to collect dolls. Did she? Now, is she a collector or is she a hoarder? What's the difference between being a collector and being a hoarder? Well, I'm going to ask you this question. I've just asked you first. Well, no, I'm going to ask you back. How many <laughs> dolls do you think you have to have to go from being a collector to a hoarder? I think that once you have a room for your dolls, like a whole room, you are a hoarder. What if they're all just displayed beautifully and you really only have like 30 dolls? Are you a hoarder or I think that's more a collector? That's a collector. There was a lady, I don't know if she was a lady, a person who used to live on a ground floor flat in Peckham in London years ago. And she, like my nana, had walking dolls, you know, the ones that are just big enough. They're about the size of a three-year-old and they can walk. Oh, my God, that's creepy. And they all had their hands up waving to you, all lined up across (laughs) her living room window, which is exactly like my nana. (laughs) And my nana gave me a doll like that when I was about three. It was as big as me and it had to be called Susan. Oh. No, I like to call it Susan, but Nana said, no, it's called Joan. Everything needed to be called Joan. And I said, no, Susan. (laughs) For me, the name was Susan. For Nana, it was Joan. No, Nana, it's not Joan. It's Susan. (laughs) Why don't you call it Joan? Because really, Nana wanted the dolls, you see. I'd go to Nana's and she'd always have a doll hiding under the bed for me. I was spoiled rotten. (laughs) <laughs> by that woman well I mean you said a room full of dolls their own room yeah I don't know how many that would be maybe what a few hundred the doll room the doll room well imagine it like you walk in they're all lining up against the window waving at mm. the neighbours then you've got them on shelves then you've got them in wardrobes then you've got a bed where they can all sit on them yes. and some of them are spooky probably as well I bet there's some ugly ones in there okay some of them have got matted hair do you remember Hamble from play school? She always looked a bit dud. She was a scruff bag. And what's that name? Hamble. Who's called Hamble? I wish I knew. <laughs> it's a very unusual name. I'm going to throw a number at you because Phyllis, she doesn't have a room full. She has more than 50,000 
dolls. Oh, oh dear. Yes. But where does she keep them? In her house. And the thing is, she has so many that structurally... The house is made of dolls? Well, <laughs> it's held up by dolls. The roof is starting to, to sag and no. starting to cave in because of the weight of all the dolls. No. The weight of the dolls? Yes. Because she's got so many, she hasn't got room to like display them all. Oh, so God. now they're in the attic. They are in the crawl space up top. But she can't enjoy them there. If you've got 50,000 of them, of course you don't even know what you've got. More than 50,000. And the reason she says she has so many is because, and this is a quote from her. She says, when I see their sweet little faces, it makes me happy. It makes me kind of warm and cozy and secure and happy inside. I don't collect them because they're valuable. I just enjoy their company. They're like friends. It's the feeling. It's the feeling mm-hmm. she gets. She's addicted to that feeling. Yeah. And and look, as you said, you know, you've got to bear in mind a lot of these dolls are falling to pieces and some don't have clothes mm. on and they're not all pretty little lovely porcelain face dolls, pristine little things. No, they're like plastic shit dolls, you know, mm. but they've got some little face that was smiling at her and she had to buy it. And the other weird thing is that unfortunately – She's not enjoying these dolls because for Phyllis, a lot of them are in bin bags that are all tied up. So it's kind of weird because it looks like there's body parts everywhere, bodies in bin bags all over the house. I can imagine. Yeah. So according to Phyllis's son, Ed, and he doesn't live with his mum, he says his mum's doll hoarding is like a tidal wave that she can't manage or control or or Mm. deal with. And it just keeps building and building. and. Like I said, there are parts of the house that are structurally unsafe because of all of the dolls and the roof is sagging. Phyllis's other son, Bobby, who looks like he's maybe in his late 40s and he has got learning disabilities and he does live with his mum. He says he doesn't mind the dolls. He likes them. But he says, oh, "Oh, (laughs) mum has maybe a few too many. A few too many? Bobby, there's thousands. More than 50,000. You think about that. Like, think about just maybe 100 in a room. You would feel like that's intense. I wouldn't like it. There's a lot of eyes on you. Basically, the bottom line is Ed, the son that doesn't live with Phyllis, he has said to Phyllis, if you don't get rid of the dolls, he thinks that adult protective services are going to take Bobby away from her yes. because if they see how she's living well, it's dangerous. and what she's subjecting her son to through yeah. the hoarding and the mm. lack of space, he's worried protective services will step in. Yeah. Thing is, Phyllis loves those dolls. More than she loves Bobby. She doesn't care about Bobby. She does care. <laughs> You're a bitch. She, of course she cares about Bobby, but she loves those dolls. If it's Bobby or the dolls, the dolls win every time. Well... I'll get to who wins in that situation. But because the thing is, like, she doesn't want to throw away a single doll. Wow. Her son, Ed, who wants her to get rid of the dolls, she's like, he's a control freak and he just wants to manipulate me into binning these dolls um, and threatening her with, you know, losing Bobby. Mm. So she's she's pissed off. But Ed is like, this is tough love. His mum needs help and he wants to give his mum the help she needs. So finally, she does give in and say she'll try to get rid of some of the dolls just to avoid, you know, involving adult protective services. Yeah. I don't know why you would do this, but obviously they've called in a TV show to help, (laughs) not just a private family thing. Yeah. (laughs) 
And they get these cleaners in who are certified organisers, specialising in chronic disorganisation. Okay. They go in and it turns out there aren't just dolls. There are tens of thousands of stuffed animal toys as well. And they're not just in the house. They're in the shed. There's a whole storage unit outside that's oh God. to the brim <gasps> full. So the cleaners start telling Phyllis that they're going to, you know, get all the dolls out of the shed, mm-hmm. out of the storage unit to start with yep. and put them all on a big tarpaulin in the backyard and show her exactly so she can visualise how many dolls and stuffed toys she really has. And Phyllis is there going, yep, yep. And she's like, oh, that sounds very nice. Because in some ways, I think she's excited about seeing all these dolls again. And they're having to rip open a lot of these bin bags because she has tied them up. You can sort of see Phyllis has no clue that she has a problem. So the cleaners get started. And honestly, it's doll chaos. (laughs) You know, there are dolls everywhere. And they're emptying out all the dolls and toys onto these tarps. The main woman, cleaning woman, she's trying to scope out Phyllis, asking her whether she needs to see every doll before it goes on the top. Or if she's okay with just having it all piled up and that maybe they could look at seeing whether they can get rid of just a whole lot of them rather than doll by doll. Phyllis can't even answer because she's seen a Cabbage Patch doll (laughs) and her whole face lights up and she's like, oh my God, there's my Cabbage Patch. And she just becomes really obsessed. Apparently Cabbage Patch dolls are her favourite. Yeah. And look, for anyone who actually doesn't know what a Cabbage Patch doll is, they were ugly. They were these pudgy little fabric fucking ugly dolls. They were just a fad, weren't they? They really were. And you know you had a an authentic certified one. I think they had like a name on the Something foot. On their bum. Or was it their bum? I thought it was their bum. Yeah, maybe it was the bum. And that's how you knew. Like every Cabbage Patch doll was named. They were expensive. Yeah. They were like probably like more than 50 bucks at the time. And that was really like yeah. spending $200 now more on a doll. Mm. We begged Jen, Jen, can we have a Cabbage Patch doll? We we didn't get them. They were so expensive. Well, because you need three or you don't can't just have one Cabbage Patch doll in the house. You need one per girl. Exactly. So we didn't get them. But I think in the end, Steph got one. But I'm not sure if it was like the real deal or a fakey one. I, I, I can't remember. I got one, but not till an, about a year after they were At their first height. out and everybody was getting one. Yeah. I didn't even know how they got popular because they're so disgusting. Ugly. I know. Marketing. That'll be... Why? Very good marketing. So going back to, to poor old Phyllis, she is watching all her dolls get laid out on the lawn. And for her, it's like TV. She's laughing, saying how cute they all are. <laughs> She's having the time of Best her life. Yeah. yeah. But you can also, a little bit under the surface, see that it's kind of nervous laughter. And you get the feeling she's laughing so she doesn't show how freaked out she is. And then this guy weighs in on on everything he's a psychotherapist who specializes in anxiety disorders and compulsive hoarding his name's Mark Pfeffer it's really interesting because like I said to you you know there's sheds and storage units full of these these dolls and he says the way Phyllis has stored away the dolls in the shed is the same way she's stored away her emotions she's just hiding and putting these things away so she doesn't have to deal with them and after a few hours and we're talking hours of the cleaners yeah. being there. There's like a doll mountain. And it's way taller than any human. 
like who's there like My throwing God. the dolls on and it is massive it takes up i wouldn't even know how many meters long this mountain is but 20 meters like it's big hmm. it is big it's just shocking how much stuff is there I mean, it kind of looks like an 80s horror movie where all mm. these like crazed dolls are getting chucked into landfill or something. But Phyllis is not shocked. Not at all. She's no. loving seeing all her dolls. So then this psychotherapist is there saying, you know, it's time to make some decisions about your dolls. And she kind of goes for him, you know, because she's feeling really attacked all of a sudden. And she's like, you don't want me to have any hobbies. And this is just a nice, friendly little hobby that I have, you know, in these cute Ugh. dolls that just looking at you and don't you, don't you feel happy? It just makes me feel happy. And she honestly cannot see that it's a problem. She's in total denial. And then she starts fighting for her hoarding. She picks up this tiny doll, tiny doll. And she's like, look at this doll. It doesn't take up any room. This is one tiny doll out of a mountain, a, a, like a 20 meter you know, she can't see the wood for the trees. No, she really can't. And all she sees is like a lot of cute little dolls. And then she gets really sad and she's she changes tact. And she's like, no one wants to be, me to be happy. No one cares about my feelings. If I can't enjoy life, I may as well be dead. And she starts crying. Right. Yeah. Now we're getting deeper into the actual the nub yep. of what's underneath Phyllis. Yeah. And she goes from being happy at the sight of all these dolls to like, spiraling down into kind of a verbal boxing match with herself you know I'm a terrible Mm. person I'm a terrible mother and she's got really low self-esteem and you can see that these dolls in many ways are her lifeline yeah she's looking at this big mountain of dolls and she's like do you know what just throw me in there too I'll just be part of the junk oh wow so you really get an insight into her she just feels that she's worthless the bottom line is that actually on this show I think she's kind of pressured into getting rid of the dolls because you see these two massive trucks stuffed full of dolls and soft toys they drive off with them they drive off and they're going to a donation warehouse and Phyllis is there and she seems to be keeping her shit together and and it looks like she's let go of her dolls but she's heartbroken and she immediately says she's regretting it and it's stressful for her but look at the end of the show I would say she got rid of about 80% of her dolls. So it is a win wow. for Phyllis. That's a lot. And a win for the for the son. You can see the floors now in the house and the walls and everything, you know. And she is a sweet lady, you know, who loves dolls. But it got out of hand. But apparently she wasn't always a hoarder. And her son Ed says the hoarding began directly after Phyllis's mum died and that for some reason Phyllis was the only member of the family not to be invited to the funeral (gasps) and as a result she sort of reverted into this childlike state and began collecting dolls when you when you see the show you do sort of have a moment where you where you wonder does she like her son who has you know learning disabilities or maybe is on the spectrum maybe she is too because she is very childlike in her behaviors and there's another guy that uh who's a hoarding expert who's a professor of psychology and he says that actually phyllis's attachment to her dolls is similar to the way that people attach to other people ah right and i kind of get it in this case because these dolls and toys that were the animals they all have faces, an individual character yes. in their face. You've said that all the way through, and I think that's a key point. 
the faces. Yeah. So she really feels like she can connect. Yeah. He says that, you know, compulsive hoarding is related to obsessive compulsive disorder. That hoarding affects around one in 25 people. But it could be more because... It's quite a lot. Yes, but... These are only the people that are reported. We know this, that hoarding occurs in varying degrees in the general population. And only the extreme cases are reported and diagnosed. And I get that you can be a mild hoarder and that it never gets reported as a problem because to the eye, it's just, it looks like someone just has a lot of stuff or they like, you know, that kind of cluttered look or whatever. I dug into some triggers and warning signs and there are things you can look out for when it comes to hoarding. It's stat moment in time. She means statistics. Stat me up. So the first thing I looked at was genetics and whether or not scientists or researchers have found a gene that you can pinpoint as like the hoarder gene and whether or not it's like genetic or hereditary or learned. And look, they've done this study on twins where they they found that it was like 50% hereditary and 50% environmental. I'm not sure really how I feel about that study because I still don't think it gives you any concrete facts on whether or not there is a gene for it. Because, you know, as you said, hoarding rarely exists. It's just a standalone problem because people who hoard, generally speaking, have other mental health conditions. So 20% of hoarders also have obsessive compulsive disorder OCD 25% have depression or anxiety 23% have some kind of social phobia maybe agoraphobia or whatever Um, 78% have acquisition related impulse control problems which honestly I would think that's more like 99% compulsive shopper yes they have no impulse control about saying no I have enough they can't control shopping or wanting these things. 29.5% of hoarders have obsessive compulsive personality disorder and 30% of hoarders have ADHD. But going back to this idea of it being genetic, there's nothing conclusive at the moment. But we did look at an episode where we looked at the brain and we know that scientists know fuck all about the brain 95 percent of the brain they have no clue what it does or how it functions and yeah they don't really know if hoarding is genetic but there was a study at the johns hopkins university school of medicine in america where they analyzed samples from 1000 patients from 219 different families with ocd and hoarding and what's interesting is they found that there's a unique region on chromosome 14 in families where two or more members had hoarding behavior which is kind of a breakthrough in some ways because it gives researchers a possible connection between a specific chromosome and hoarding but it's not conclusive so there it is wow gosh yes that's a lot of stats and things there michelle michelle's getting cut johnny had a Mandel's loves brown lemonade. To you, that's a cold beer. Crack open a cold one, love. Give us a tinny. Eve's dropping. Well, that's 
very interesting, all of that stuff you've just told us, Michelle, about the stats and the whatnots and the ins and outs of hoarding. What are the, some of the most disgusting things that people might hoard, do you think? Dead cats. We've talked about that. We in the have talked episodes. about dead cats. Poo. We're not going back there again. Poo. We're also not going to go back there again. <laughs> what about tampons, Mish? No. <laughs> what? Oh, oh, this was from my first rags. There is one guy on Reddit, just when I was looking into this, I found a Reddit post where one poor man discovered that his girlfriend was hoarding a pile of her used tampons in a drawer and they looked like they'd been there a long time. If you find that, is that an instant like breakup? Red flag, so to speak. <laughs> oh, Geordie. Ah. Brown flag at that point. Um, stop, stop it. Stop. I mean, wouldn't you think... This girl's... Yes. He posted on Reddit and he said, what the fuck do I do? Oh, I don't know what to do with this. And he uh, he did say that he did ask her why she didn't at least wrap them up because they were all just <gasps> as they are. Pulled out, popped in the drawer. No wrapping oh in toilet God. paper or anything like that. She said that it was a waste of toilet paper to wrap them and that what she decided to do instead was to leave them in the drawer to let them dry out and then she was going to throw them away but it had gotten out of control (laughs) no no yeah no that happened but also that led me to thinking Mm -hmm. if she did put them in the bin what happens to them then we were talking about this earlier weren't we about what happens to our water supply coming full circle I was wondering we hear that the bin men are supposed to separate our rubbish. Well, not the bin men, but it goes to recycling or a, to a, a place where the bin bags, they get pulled open, they get pulled apart. They don't just get chucked in a great big hole in the ground because otherwise we would be like Wall E, as I like to call mm. him. I know it's not Wall E, it's Wally, but we'd be surrounded by rubbish and I don't see rubbish. No. So what's in there? I have done a little research on that and... Some interesting things that bin men have found in the past have been things like a man's ashes <gasps> that was thrown in the bin. Oh, my God. You know, like his body was cremated, human remains, but in ash form. And the thing is, it was still in the paper bag that was given to them from the crematorium and it had all the details on the front. So they tracked down the family and said, oh, I think you've accidentally thrown these away. But they said, no, they hadn't accidentally thrown them away. They did it on purpose. <gasps> they were like, he was a bastard. We don't want him in our fucking house. See you later, mate. Also on Reddit, there was another person who reported seeing about 50 to 75 dead rats tied up together and they thought it might be a ritual sacrifice. But actually, Michelle, as soon as they said that, I knew exactly what it was because I've seen a picture of it before. It sounds like to me that it's a rat king. Have you ever heard about a rat king? I have no clue what you're talking about. It's so eerie. It's basically it's when... A load of rats living in close proximity. No one knows how it happens and some people think it may be a hoax. But I believe, and if you Google it, dear listener, you'll see for yourself it's quite distressing. All their tails get tied up (gasps) in an unbreakable knot, like a big dreadlock, and they can't get pulled apart. And eventually they just die because they can't go off looking for food and things. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's bizarre. Disgusting. But I'm here today to tell you about hoarders. Yes. And hoarders... I've got a story about hoarders just for you, Michelle and our listeners. I can't wait. So this is a Sydney-based hoarder story that I found Excellent. whilst looking through some newspapers. And it's a place in Greenwich in Sydney, Australia, New South Wales. And it was reported first in 2018. There's a man 
called Bruce Roberts, who is known by locals as a socially awkward recluse with unpredictable behaviour. And he had a habit of piling up boxes and newspapers and broken shit all over his house mm-hmm. until the day of his death in 2017, aged 60. Oh, that's young. Yeah. His neighbours hadn't seen him for about eight weeks and one neighbour had noticed an unusually large build-up of uncollected mail in his letterbox. Mm. So police were called in in July 2017. Firefighters and the police had to battle their way into the house because it was a hoarder's paradise. And once in, they found Bruce Roberts slumped over a bar heater (gasps) in the hallway with the heater still on. No! Sorry, guys. Oh, he was cooked. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. His head, face, right shoulder and chest were not in a pretty state. Oh, God. Char grill. <sighs> so this house, like I said. <laughs> stop it. It's so me. <laughs> this, this house was a hoarder's paradise, as I'd said, with rubbish stacked floor to ceiling. And it appeared as though Mr. Roberts never threw anything out. A bit like my husband. But there was a little path that was kind of swathed mm. from room to room. For It was about a person's width wide yeah. for Mr. Roberts to be able to get through. But all the bedrooms, everything full of rubbish. He had lived in that house for at least 30 years because he inherited it after his mother's death in 1989. They were a wealthy family, Michelle. Right. Well, Greenwich is an expensive suburb, I believe. Where is it? You don't know. He inherited it from his mother after her death in 1989. Plus, he also inherited a million dollars in shares. This guy never had to work again. So that's why he could live that lifestyle of just being inside and collecting things. At the time of his death, he had more than $600,000 in his bank account. Greenwich is in the very, very posh part of the North Shore. It's right on, so oh. you get harbour views, everything. It's oh my gosh, big money, big money suburb. I bet the neighbours loved his house, <laughs> didn't they? <laughs> it's bringing down the tone. Yes, exactly. And also, Michelle, cardboard and other bits of crap weren't the only things that Bruce Roberts left behind in his hoarder house when he died. No, what was it? Cleaners who went to remove the rubbish so that they could put the house on the market and sell it on the 29th of May, 2018, which is almost a year after he was first found dead in there, discovered the fully clothed and mummified body of a 39-year-old man by the name of Shane Snellman. He'd been placed under a rug in a spare room. Oh, my God. Is he a murderer? Yeah. Oh, my God. Coroners identified the man by the only visible parts of his body, which was a couple of tattoos and a few bits of fingerprints left on the body that they could find. They found out who he was and they investigated and it later showed that Shane Snellman had very probably died in October 2002 from a gunshot wound on the left side of his neck. It's believed that Snellman was attempting to rob Bruce Roberts (gasps) but was confronted and shot because they don't think that the men knew each other. Right, because I was wondering, is there like a sexual motivation here? He was a recluse, Michelle. He never went out. As you've just told me, he lives in an affluent Sydney Mm. suburb. And he just happened to have a gun. Well, he had 13 guns and a pile of ammo (laughs) in his house. Okay. (laughs) 
And in a creepy seven style flourish to this story, there was also more than 70 air fresheners around the body in an attempt to mask the stench of decomposition. Why didn't the police find that a year before? I guess that's how bad the house Holy was. Holy shit. I mean, but when you see a hoarder house, you know, it takes a lot. Takes your breath away. Oh, <laughs> take my breath away. I mean, that guy just chose the wrong house to rob. Absolutely. And it turns out this poor Shane Snellman, you putting your hand up? No, sorry. Oh. I just had a fly in front of my face. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it turns out that the coroner's discovered that Snellman was transient, so he was oh, a homeless man. Okay. And Roberts, who rarely left his home, there is no way that those two could meet. That's how they came to the conclusion yeah. that he must have been robbing. They also based this on the fact that Snellman had had a really rough upbringing. Mm. He grew up in a boy's home. He had issues with drug abuse. He was in and out of jail for minor offences, including a 10-month stint age 15 before he was acquitted for the murder of a homeless man. Oh, my God. He didn't have a lot of chances, this guy. No. He didn't. And also, he was down to his last dollar. They discovered that he'd taken his last dollar out of his bank account on the day that he died, leaving 66 cents left in there. Obviously, he went roaming the streets of Greenwich thinking he could find an easy target. And like you said, Michelle, climbed in the window or whatever of the wrong place in 2002 and wasn't discovered until 2018. Fuck, man. I mean, it's amazing. Like both of those bodies must have been absolutely horrific to find for the services who went in there. It just doesn't get worse, does it? I mean, first of all, they find Bruce Roberts cooking over his bar heater. Come on. In a hoarder's paradise. And then a year later, the poor cleaners turn up and find a mummy. You want Big Dollar to be cleaning that place. Well, that's the thing. Fuck. Us declutterers don't get paid enough, I tell you. True and true. That's insane. I mean, I, I want to look yeah. that up because does this guy have any family? He obviously has money. Who? Snellman? No, Roberts. Does he have any family? Like, who's claimed that house? You know, that, like, what happens to all that no stuff? No one claimed it. There was no one to inherit. Can I have the shares in the house, please? Like, what happens in cases like that? It's really sad. There's so many questions. Mm. There are so many questions about today's episode, Mm. Michelle. We need to know. Listeners, if you can help us, can you tell us what happens to the poo and the wee when it gets flushed away? (laughs) Do we drink it again? We also want to know. What else do we want to know? What happens to... What happens when you find your girlfriend hoards tampons? Like, And, And what do you do with the rubbish? Yes. And what happens to the money and the houses when no one's there to inherit? I wonder if eavesdropper Steph knows anything about this. She's in the insurance world, so maybe there's some kind of legislation on that. Do write in. That's amazing. Thanks, Mish. It wasn't a lovely story, really, was it? But never mind. No. No, but it's like it brings up a lot. I mean, there's a lot to talk about hoarders in general, really, isn't there? It's not nice. It's not funny. We shouldn't laugh at them. But equally, hearing these stories... It makes you stop and think. The pain those people must be in, the difficulty, they've self-isolated. It's tough. Well, you know, there are some early warning signs of hoarding. And apparently it starts in adolescence and it does get more severe as you get older. What are they? Well, if you're a kid, it starts mainly between the ages of between 10 and 20. And it's kids or like teenagers who start to collect broken things. 
Uh. or just crap and I mean actual rubbish that most people would consider junk and this is a really strong warning sign that the behavior might become more extreme in later Mm. life also like an obvious sign is people who collect junk clutter rubbish whatever or people who just have no idea about how to organize their homes and how to get rid of rubbish like they can't let go of paper or plastic containers or a useful paper tray or whatever it is it's all degrees of hoarding so the upshot is basically if you've got kids and they're hoarding or collecting junk just keep an eye on them and maybe try to instill behaviors where they have to let go of this stuff Mm -hmm. and have regular clear outs so they don't get attachment to this stuff yeah and also if it keeps happening Try and figure out, like, has something happened? Has something triggered this? Is something going on at school? That's a warning sign. There's also a correlation between hoarding and booze because give or take around 50% of hoarders also have a history of alcohol dependence or abuse. For me, it's a chicken and egg thing because there aren't any studies on whether or not hoarding is a product of alcoholism or if it's an indicator of an addictive personality. But... Again, it's something to look out for. Like we talked about the social anxiety, you know, it's not a big stretch to know that people collect stuff when they're lonely to fill the emptiness Mm. in their lives because they haven't got like those personal connections. There's trauma as well, which I think is a big factor in triggering hoarding. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that like stressful or traumatic life events or some kind of abuse actually or loss, death of a loved one, that kind of thing, or some kind of massive shock or disappointment can trigger hoarding as a coping mechanism. Mm. But also big life changes can trigger hoarding, like retirement or losing your job or starting a job. Oh, God. Yeah, or people start hoarding after the whole empty nest thing when their kids leave home. Just as you get rid of all the kids and all their accoutrements then suddenly you start hoarding they have to fill their lives because the kids are gone they fill it with stuff something's missing there's no one thing that is a trigger but it could be a lot of things but I thought it was really interesting about the kids you know when you see like are they collecting broken shit and you know what a day out for us would be my dad taking us to the dump we would love it dump I remember going to the dump yeah I don't know if you're still allowed to do that, but you would go, you'd take your bags of rubbish and it was literally just a mountain. Flies everywhere, it stank. It was revolting. And in in Australia... Hot rubbish. Hot garbage. (laughs) Hot rubbish. Hot rubbish. A hot pile of rubbish. God, Dad, can we take this home? And it'd be like a horse with, yeah, one broken leg, toy horse. Oh, can I have it? It was like an adventure. Hoarding. Hoarding. It happens. I don't know what you can do about it. Nothing. Well, I tell you what our eavesdroppers can do. Do you know what you eavesdroppers can do? I'll tell you. No, Michelle will tell you. (laughs) I will just tell you wherever you are. And whatever you do, just just keep keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.